Hey everyone, and welcome back to another episode of I Just Blank. Now what? Uh, I am Jessica Stevens, your host, and thank you so much for coming back and tuning in to another episode. So grateful and appreciated each and every week to have you guys join us, listen in on some of these amazing stories from a group of wonderful guests that I've had the pleasure of connecting with this season. So today on the show, uh, I am speaking with Rishma Giovanni, and she is sharing her I Just Became a Widow, Now What story. So just a little bit about Rishma before we get into hearing her story. Um, She is a change agent and a seasoned strategic communications professional with 20 years of experience in media relations and public affairs in environments with high profile issues and complex stakeholder relations. She's currently the head of communications for Global News and Chorus Radio, a robust portfolio that includes 55 leading media brands across Canada. A dynamic, empowered, and passionate professional, she's committed to creating real positive change, especially in the areas of diversity, inclusion, and acceptance. Last year, on September 2020, she lost her beloved husband and partner, Ali, to cancer. He is her true North Star, guiding her in the afterlife. She is so passionate about normalizing grief, enhancing grief literacy, and allowing people to feel comfortable and even find the humor around topics that are not easy. She's a proud mom of Khalil Mila and her new fur baby, Hero, aptly named after his dad. So without further ado, let's jump in and hear Rishma's I Just Became a Widow, Now What? story. Have you ever had something happen in your life that you just were not expecting, good or bad, and said out loud or to yourself, I just got laid off, or I just got engaged, maybe I just started a business, or I just bought a house, or maybe I just got my heart broken, or I just quit my soul-sucking job, now what? Me too, friend, me too. I've had a few actually, and each time it happened, in the moment, I felt like the world around me was collapsing and I didn't know what to do. Eventually, of course, I did figure it out, often the hard way, but I figured it out. And it wasn't until I was sharing some of these stories that I realized they were packed full of great lessons of what to do next, how to move forward and answer that gut-wrenching and sometimes paralyzing question, now what? So join me as we share some of life's most challenging stories and their transformational lessons on the I Just Blank, Now What? the podcast. All right. Hello, Rishma. Hey there. How are you today? I'm doing well. And how are you? I'm okay too. Um, Well, thank you for joining me today. It's lovely to see you. Lovely to be here. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity to open up with you and your new podcast, which I've been listening to. And yeah, kudos to you for bringing that to life. Thank you so much. And yes, we actually got connected through my first guest, Rangini, um, who shared her story on the show. And she connected us because she she's heard your story and she's like encouraged you to come on and share yours. So I'm so grateful that we were introduced and that you're here to share your story. So, you know, before we get started and all of that, you know, why don't you tell the audience just a little bit about you, right? Obviously, I just read your bio to everybody, but I always like, you know, guests just to share a little bit about themselves from their own words. 
Yeah. So I am a sole parent, which is a new term that I'm trying to embrace. And that means that versus a single parent, the parent is no longer alive. I lost my beloved, amazing, gorgeous, kind husband close to 10 months ago. And and time is such an interesting construct because like feels like yesterday and it feels like years. I'm already like starting to feel like, am I going to forget this about him? And uh, I'm a communications professional and uh, deal with all kinds of things in the media industry. And tonight specifically, I'm a baseball mom and I'm a soccer mom. So there's a lot of extracurricular activities happening and just trying to be open to whatever is out there in terms of therapy and counseling and mediums and astrology and learning to find my voice and and hopefully have that voice be an opening for others to also express themselves and hopefully something that will comfort other people by me speaking up that I just want to collectively be able to, you know, change the discourse around grief literacy and also just the openness to be able to talk about things that are uncomfortable and normalize that. Absolutely. And honestly, that is literally why we have this show because We want to give people a platform and an opportunity to share their story. I firmly believe, you know, it's, it's part of a healing process when you get to share and have others contribute to, you know, that with you and, and sharing your story helps not only helps you, but it helps other people and helps maybe them process, you know, their grief in a way that they weren't able to do on their own. So I want to thank you so much for coming on the show and, you know, sharing, I just became a widow now what story and you know for you it's a little bit different because the now what you're still living in the now what because as you said it's only been 10 months since your husband passed away so why don't you rewind rewind the tape for us just a little bit give us a little bit of background and you know tell us about him and and what led up to this you know pivot change in your life as a sole parent Yeah. So it is healing. The more I talk about him and I talk about our journey and and talk about what we've been through and it really is a healing process. And it's a story of, of gratitude as well, because when I do rewind right now to be able to give our listeners, you know, an opportunity to have some context about who he was and how we met and all of that. It's, it's such a great story. It's such a great partnership that we had and and continue to have in many ways so it's 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 a nice story to be able to continuously share and and bring him alive and make sure that his his memory doesn't fade we were introduced through mutual friends and officially our i guess our love tale started on june the first 2000 where we were working next door to each other um buildings next door to each other and bumped into one another enough for him to say, Hey, what are you doing here? And at the time, just previously, I'd been living in Washington, DC. So I guess the last update he would have through our mutual friend is that I live there. So he was quite surprised to see me on the streets of downtown Toronto. And, you know, and from there, you know, struck a really, really easy friendship. Didn't make a single friend in that job because he was my break buddy. He was my lunch buddy. And together we would explore all the different restaurants around Queen and King and, and even after work. And we just had a lot of interests that were quite similar. We've done personality tests and also sort of couples tests and, and we're totally a match. 
But the thing was that kind of freaked me out because he was older and it was also scary to be able to be in a, a place where, hey, this is the one. But it wasn't like this fiery, passionate, you know, churning in my stomach. It was a very reliable, kind, compassionate type of love, which I didn't know existed. And so I, I very much chose him. He was convinced from the very beginning. It took me a bit of time. And, you know, I, I like to refer to it and advice to girlfriends that are, you know, currently in relationships too, that it's a choice and it doesn't have to be turbulent fires. In fact, you want the partnership and the companionship and the friendship. And we very much had that. We married in 2003. We had a few years, just us having adventures, pursuing different things of interest to either of us. Some of them were together and some of them were separate. We were good about that and, and be able to not do everything together, but have enough common interest to, to hold us together. And then our son was born in 2007 and, you know, newborn life. It was just took our journey in a whole different direction. And then our daughter was born and together we formed the acronym MARK, which is the first initial of each of our names. So we're team Mark. Mm-hmm. And it was just an easy way to sign off on greeting cards and emails and, you know, it just became us, team Mark. And so Mark stands for Mila, Ali, Rishma, myself, and, and Khalil. And so, and now we have a puppy. So it's with an H, his name's Hero. So we always say it's Mark. Or you can- <laughs> Mahark. Mahark. He can fit in. He can fit in. If yeah. you, uh, and had uh, a really good life. Of course, there were struggles, just like any marriage. Not perfect by any means. Don't want to ever come across and say we had a perfect life. We didn't. And along came many, many challenges. And I think the biggest challenge that came along was about six years ago when Allie got a really rough diagnosis. And really, it was a bad deck of cards. Like it was just bad luck. It was, it's a very rare, rare rare type of sarcoma that Ali experienced. None of the traditional therapies were even on the, on the table because they were ineffective. So instead he was a candidate for different studies and trials. And he participated in four of them, which we're proud of because he was able to hopefully offer some knowledge and research to others to, to move that type of research along. And we're really granted incredible bonus time And so each time, each trip was the last trip, each restaurant was the last restaurant and and times six years. So hanging like by, you know, this idea of just uncertainty and, and not knowing things were really unstable and then they'd be stable and then unstable. And so constantly living with this immediacy of, of making the best of every situation and, and the day, which you know, it was an exhausting way to live too, because checking off a bucket list is expensive and it's time consuming and you need resources of time and, you know, and just the pace, but that's the pace we stayed at because it was really important to be able to do that knowing tomorrow could, could be the last day. And that chapter ended for him last September and last summer, he finally like was, was ill that it was obvious that he was ill because he was kind of faking it for so many years. People didn't know it was private. He's a private person. And many points in that six-year journey, he didn't even look sick or act sick or had had more energy than I did. That's That was for sure. I was often mistaken to be the patient as well when we went to appointments. And 
just a sweet, kind man who had really, really good energy. And people miss him. People miss him from our local Tim Hortons, his tire guy who would flip our tires twice a year. Like he just had an impact. He had a way he was soft and kind and really funny and really unexpected, sarcastic humor, sometimes like corny dad jokes. And sometimes you didn't even know that he was like joking because he was so poker face and straight face about it. And, you know, I could roll my eyes at some and then he'd still be able to pull off people like, oh, he's totally kidding. And so that's, that's a little bit about our, our, our journey, our love story and our family. And it was an amazing ride, one that I'm grateful for, but also missing a lot. I miss him quite a bit every day, every moment. I love that you as a family, like branded yourselves. You guys gave yourselves like a moniker and something that, you know, the, the four of you and four plus one, cause you can't forget the puppy that you will always have. Right. And, and even though he's not physically here, I'm sure you still sign everything off as Mark. Right. So even when he's gone, he's still included in everything that you guys do today. So, Oh, I love that. I love the fact that you guys have those initials mashed together as a family unit that will never, ever be broken. As a team, um, as a team, a team too, right? Yeah. So we could pick up where the other one was falling short or pull more weight. And so it was this, this idea of teamwork that we were all sort of in it together. And we have tons of memorabilia or things that we've been gifted or come up with that have our picture or team mark on it. Like there's just so many little pieces that we have. You probably can't see it, but I have a pumpkin behind me and it also says team mark. People gift us with these things all the time, all the time. So it's, it's, it's very special. That's amazing. Yes. I think it's interesting how um, individuals or even like groups, like families have this name or the symbol and other people just learn about it. And then they're like, Ooh, like, they send you like team mark stuff, you know, for me, same thing. They, they know I love dragonflies. And so I'll get like random packages in the mail with like a tea towel with a dragonfly on it, or someone just sends me like dragonfly earrings. And they're like, we know you love dragonflies. And this made us think of you. Right. So I think, you know, those, you know, team mark things that people send you, and I'm sure they're going to continue to send them to you just makes it even that much more special. Absolutely. And I love the dragonfly obsession. That's very cute. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's mine. So let's talk about, you know, the now. Now what? So rewind us to, you know, 10 months ago and, and what you were feeling and going through as your, your, I guess, the second phase of your grief journey began. Because for those six years, even though he was still here with you and the family and participating, you, you started the grief process from that original diagnosis. So, you know, what was phase two like now that he was just physically not here? Yes. The grief journey started very early. The prep work was there. The counseling was there. The literature was there. The books were there. We were able to grieve together and have low points and celebrate those high moments. And so because we were able to do that together, you know, it was a more singular process. And initially there's just a lot of grunt work to get through and COVID had complications and contact tracing. And it was, it was project management for, for a really, really long time. 
with, you know, episodes of unexpected grief, because it's not something I can set aside and say, this is from two to three, I'm going to block this time to do it. Mm -hmm. And so just kind of carried on. I'm a very list oriented person. And there was a lot of matters to attend to and a lot of things that were sort of clinical in nature and financial and that kind of thing, but also many things that Ali prioritized for me and the kids to be able to follow through on and get healthy and get the puppy and get the kids, you know, organized and things like that. That we've, you know, I've made several promises to him that I'm trying to see my way through. So there was just the the list and then the bigger asks of things that he wants me to be able to pursue and take off the shelf because there was a lot of projects that we were had to abandon for different reasons. And a lot of it was we had young kids too. So there was only so much we could manage. So a lot of that, you know, is getting one by one taken off the shelf. And I don't know, even know if it's phases because it's just ebbs and flows and it's so different and, you know, just gets you at, at different times. It could be a song. It could be a memory. Yesterday, my daughter was wearing hand-me-downs of my son and then there's blue shorts that they wear to bed and like soccer shorts. And I pulled out the pair that Allie had in, in matching and they both laughed because they're enormous. <laughs> and, you know, she just reminded me of, of him, even though I've used, I'm used to my son wearing those shorts all the time. It was different to see my daughter in those shorts and it looked like her dad. Like it was just a weird kind of moment that you don't really plan for. And it really, really got me. And then of course I put on a sad movie, a Bollywood flick, one of a, a classic and I was just a mess you know, all night. And so, yeah, different, we could call them phases, right? Like different chapters, different phases. And I feel like they've been all over the place. Like it's not a linear journey and it's all kind of mixed up and messy and there's good in every day. And I work full time and I have kids and that keeps me busy tonight. Like I said, I both soccer and baseball. And so the day just takes over right? Like there isn't a pause button for grief. You just go like the, the meal still needs to be made. The beds need to be made. The dog needs to be walked. Like all those things still exist. Mm -hmm. So you have to find a way to kind of exist again. And so there's never been a real opportunity to just lie in bed and feel sorry for myself. My children are watching me mm -hmm. and that's not the kind of modeling I want to do. Although I do want to normalize grief and it comes and they see it and they see, you know, really, really hard moments that I go through. But I think they're looking for uh, strength for me. And so sometimes I fake it and then it works. I convince myself too, that I'm okay. You, you talked yourself out of the, the moment and, and, you know, kind of say, okay, I'm going to put you on pause right now and you're going to come back later, but right now I'm going to, I'm going to be a soccer mom right now. Yeah. Take a breath and just soldier on and and those sports are really interesting because those are his sort of domain mm -hmm. and his area of expertise I don't have the literacy or the fluency in either of those to be able to you know advise or really understand the intricacies of the game except to just cheer on and good effort and good running and you know like very generic kind of feedback, which is probably all they need. They just need, you know, someone in their corner, but it's something that I think he would and had previously taken so much interest in and so much pride in. And our daughter didn't take up soccer until recently, a few weeks ago. And I just, the pride 
And when I was there, it was very difficult because I thought, first of all, I noticed for the first time, there was a lot of parents and families. It was like, almost like COVID didn't exist that night. There was just a lot of groupings and I was alone, which is fine because I'm very chatty and I make friends and it's a new team and I don't know the other parents and I felt alone. And I also felt like he was missing out on something huge for our daughter that we wish that she would pick up a sport and how she ran and how she hustled and her legs, her strong, strong legs that we're so intimately know. She used to be like a few months old, six months old, and she'd be in standing position. And it was just um, incredible to see it. We've always known she has strong swimmer legs or, or, um, and just his absence was, was really, really felt. So this is all still so fresh for you, right? And I'm so grateful for you, you know, to come on and share as you're living it, because most people tend to, you know, seclude themselves and do this grieving process in private. And then, you know, when they're through the storm, right, and they're kind of coming out the other end, that's when they start sharing and talking and kind of healing from, you know, from the scar spot and not from like the open wound spot, but you here you are and sharing it when you're, what feels like your wounds are still really, really open. So I'm so grateful for you to, you know, be able to Pretty process well. this in a kind of raw state for everybody. What have been some of the, the blessings over the yeah. last 10 months? So it's true. It's, it's very raw and it's like, you're my live journal right now. Right. So I'm not writing, but I'm, it's a process of journaling or just having a bunch of thoughts that may, may not all kind of make sense, but they're all there. The blessings have been that there's a stitch that happens. If you think about like a surgery or something or the rawness. And so there's scarring that's happening, but it, it, it does close up. It does close up. There was, you know, a really poetic quote the other day talking about dancing again, like learning how to dance again, but you're going to dance with the limp. The dance itself is going to be different, but it doesn't mean you can't dance again. Mm-hmm. So I feel like I've been dancing. I feel like I've been putting my best foot forward, whether it has a limp or not and enjoying the summer and making sure that the kids continue to live the life that their dad wants them and myself to live, which is one of joy and adventure and good food and good company and not one that's in isolation, one that takes care of our spiritual needs, our physical needs, our emotional needs, one that comes with balance. So enjoying the the freedoms that we've been afforded again through the newest, you know, stage of, of COVID and that for my daughter is going to the park with her friends and going to a convenience store, which is a very new experience of like buying candy and, and, and being a kid. And I recall maybe a month ago, kind of feeling jealous or left out and a girlfriend saying, it's the best thing ever. You'll get her back when she's 20, but this is so normal. In fact, the kids have been so stuck at home. The fact that she's constantly out and has all these friends and opportunities and that you have a community of people that are looking out for her is, is quite remarkable. And that was a good, it was a good rework there for me to be able to see it that way as, as an opportunity for her, even the doorbell rings and, you know, my son's asked, like, you want to play soccer? And he may not take the initiative, but when, when the kids come knocking, I'm like, yeah, go. 
and he'll go to the park and play soccer. So there's been a, a lot of opportunity for spontaneity in the day. And then in the evenings, baseball sort of kind of takes over and family time and spending time at my grandparents, at their grandparents, my parents' house, spending time with their cousins. We did a trip to Muskoka with their cousins. Last week, my daughter and I, you know, went to Prince Edward County with my besties from university. It was a girl's trip only. And one of the blessings has definitely been Hero and how much joy he's brought the family, especially for someone who uh, talk about literacy or illiteracy when it comes to sports. The same applies with me and dogs and just having a loyal buddy. Like he's so loyal and he's so darn cute. And again, a community that opens up once you are a dog walker and meeting all these people who have lived in my neighborhood that I didn't talk to because they maybe didn't have young kids or it wasn't, you know, the same demographic as, as Ali and I. And so that's sort of opened up where you feel like the community extends even more. Yeah. You have a new group to like tap into, right? Yeah. And, and people have noticed us or know our car or know our house, know the, whatever it might be. And so there's a sense of community, which is really important. A lot of walks, a lot of different trails. I like to try different, you know, walking trails and blog TO lists. And so I'll meet colleagues for walks. I'll meet friends for walks. We have reconnected with cousins and people that I haven't done that with in a long time. And it's just remarkable how much land diversity there is in in the city and the GTA where it doesn't need to get repetitive. Like walking up and down my street is is par for the course, but it's not like if I'm gonna go for a longer walk, I wanna I wanna go to places I haven't been before. It brings a bit of adventure and you get your exercise in. So there's been a lot of that. And that was happening year round, even when the weather was uh, colder. And just people who have, you know, said last fall, last winter, let's, let's, let's do it. Let's, let's take the kids. Let's do this. So the blessings continue because life continues and we have a special guardian angel on all of our shoulders. And so he's there pushing us and he's teaching us. And I think it's important for him that we live life to the fullest. It's not oh my God, we've totally enjoyed Netflix and Amazon. We watch we watch all our shows too. And there's a lot of merriment that comes from that too. But just, you know, being out and exploring, I think is very, very important to him. A blessing is is the confidence in, in doing things that I never thought I had the capacity for. I was able to try, you know, figure out how to do the winter tires. I was able to water the grass with new sod. Never did that. You know, we tried not to be in very gender specific roles, but there were certain things that he handled. Another one being barbecuing. I barbecued today. I marinated chicken and I barbecued and I didn't know how to turn the gas line on, but my son did. So together, again, team Mark comes into play and I have Ali's voice going, you know, I'm putting everything inside and it's nagging at me. It's like, turn the gas line off and make sure the chicken inside isn't raw. Cause I tend to be a rusher with everything in life. It and, looks cooked, but is it really? He was, he was never convinced anything was cooked enough. He always thought that everything was pink. It was too pink. And I really took my time. I took my time. And that's something that he always was, you know, enforcing, take your time. You're really good at things. When you take your time, don't rush through it. And I made a really, really nice lunch slash. Now we have dinner as well. And those are all things I've, I've never done before. In many ways, I was 
I was very taken care of and I was very spoiled in the relationship. Like it wasn't until a few years ago that I even did laundry. He did the family's laundry. He did the family's groceries. He's a very independent doer. He just, he was a morning riser. He liked to get his stuff done and enjoy the day. And I'm sure he took a lot of joy out of taking care of his family and you, his wife, and just, you know, pampering you a little bit. So yeah, you, you had that, that opportunity to, to be a queen. I was queen and there was a period where he wasn't working. So he was able to pull his own and go, well, it only makes sense that I, I do this stuff. And actually enjoyed it and didn't complain and have a game on or a show on and be able to fold laundry. No offense, Sally, not very well, but (laughs) (laughs) the fact is it was done. It was done and it was done with so much heart and kindness. And so all of those practical things, we've had a leak, we've had different things go on in the house And he was very, very good about getting me to like the 95% finish line with, with jobs in the house, but things do come up, things come up and I may know not how to do it, but I, but I know how to outsource for sure. And try to actually listen to when that service provider is here to like take, take the instructions to how to, you know, prevent the problem in the future. So there's, those are the blessings of being able to feel empowered and more confident with things that I'm, I don't know how to do and learning those things and maybe not not be great at them, but just proficient. So that's been there. And, and really he's there. He was there with the chicken today. He's there with a lot of things that if I'm unsure of either I'm guessing his answer because I know him so well, or I'm actually hearing him. I never know which one it actually is. It's like, is that his voice through me or is it me predicting what he or would anticipating, have been, what he anticipating would him saying, don't run that light, do this. Like he's in my head all the time, head and shoulders, I guess. And in my heart, he's always in my heart. Ah, oh, that's beautiful. I think, I think he's definitely speaking to you, right? And whether it's, you're just anticipating what he would say if he was actually there with you and standing over you as you, you know, barbecue chicken and been like, leave it on the fire just a little longer. Cause you know, that's what he would have wanted to do. Or he's actually just telling it to you. I think that's, that's definitely, yeah, he's, he's absolutely there with you. Yeah. I love that. I love that. Thank you for that. And it's, you know, they say like lessons are repeated throughout your life until you get them. Yeah. And when you have someone who's a really solid partner, who's not shy to bring you to your best, and who knows where your developmental areas are. The lessons keep coming back and back. Mm -hmm. And so that's why it's also so predictive because we weren't shy to tell each other about each other's areas of development, let's say. But in a way that was positive, in a way that was trying to make the other person grow. Mm -hmm. And, you know, a few years ago, I think when he thought, you know, this was, we had many, several, this is it moments. And then he would surpass them. He had nine lives. He literally had, nine, well, he had eight lives that he was able to enjoy because there was a lot of no way he's coming back from this kind of moment. And he started to leave sticky notes about like, don't leave the lint. Make sure you, you know, release the lint from the dryer, like really basic things. And just because the lessons, because I would, I would be really, really good. And then I would forget to take out the lint. And he's like, how do you forget to do that? I'm like, it's just not. Something. It's not a priority in my brain right now. I know my yeah. husband is the same way. He's like, 
he's he's put post notes up on the on the dryer and on the like washing machine like wipe down the washing machine so it doesn't get wet and moldy and like yeah clean the lint traps yeah yeah or like dishwasher or some things are more instinctive like you just do it in a row and then but the habit's never been formed and so he put on all these sticky notes in various parts of the house because he was so thorough and good about thermostats and good about like all the check-ins that you're supposed to do throughout the year and just took pride on that. And I think it was just hyper-organized and just thought that way. It's, it's a way of, it's a way of thinking. And so he was definitely gifted at all of that. And he's left that, some of that with you, which is great. Cause now you're kind of embodying some of that personality that he had. And so he's kind of with you doing all of it. That's right. Yes. That's great. So you said a really interesting term at the top of the call, which I had never, I had never heard before, but I, I love, it's beautiful, which is a sole parent versus a single parent. So what are some of those sole parent moments now for you that you've had to kind of figure out of playing dad? So yeah, and, and it's up for debate. I know uh, a lot of the grief related Instagram accounts or bloggers that I follow, it's, it's actually like, can be controversial if you really want to go into the nuance of the words and do you prefer single or soul or there's widowed or there, there's a couple other terms. The one that I liked was soul because you're the, you are the, the soul where single means you are in a marriage or in a relationship, you're single. The other parents still exist. So it's a, it's a newfound term. But then I also feel like soul not meaning only because he's with us is just in a different way. And so again, just trying to listen to the voice indirectly or directly for guidance on how to approach things. Our son graduated grade eight, which is a major milestone and he's going to high school. And one that I know how he was prepared for and Luckily, there was a very special note that Khalil got from his dad at his graduation and very dad-like, very funny, very, you know, just let the girls come to you, stand back in the corner like I did. It's just very, very sweet stuff that was in there. And so, yeah, navigating all of that, I mean, navigating high school and the this tweeny phase where I allow for a lot of independence, but making sure that the kids work hard first and then play hard. I'm, I'm a stickler for, you know, they get a text every morning to know what their chores are. Once those chores are done, freedom, I don't care. But are the dishes done? Is your laundry done? Is the recycling out? Whatever I need help with, because again, I'm going back to the team mentality yeah. of how we're going to approach this family. I can't do it on my own. And I don't even think the two of us could do it. We had to individually all contribute to the household. So they're great in in terms of that. Sometimes it takes a little bit of nagging, but they know that after that, like, doesn't it feel good when all your jobs are already done and it's like 11 o'clock, you have the whole day until your evening activity. And it's sort of the way that I approach work as well. Like I, I work really, really hard and what I do, make sure it's very focused and well done. And then I get to play. And so very time conscious and protective of my time. I want to make sure that it is used to the, used to the maximum, but back to, you know, you think we started out with you asking me about soul parenting. Yeah. It's a journey that I'm just embarking. It's new. There's going to be a lot of milestones ahead and challenges ahead as we go into the teen years and I want to make sure that I'm around for them and maybe even more around than I've been in in previous years because I think it's important with the pressures that teenagers face now 
and some of their grief might manifest more predominantly during those years. There may be anger, there may be hormonal changes mm -hmm. and stuff that they haven't really experienced yet. But just super fortunate that even though it was short, their foundational years and that core development was established when their dad was physically present with us mm -hmm. and that there are enough memories and thank God photos and videos and our son being the iPhone age, 2007 is when the iPhone was developed. So thank God we have a record of that, but it, it's a new, it's a new journey to navigate, right? So I'm just it's even hard to say the word widow or soul parenting. Like it's, it's just not natural yet. It doesn't feel normal. I haven't gone to a parent teacher interview without him, or I guess the graduation was a little different because it was a drive-by we're in a car and on video, but yeah. So I had it been that, like a traditional graduation, you probably would have felt it a little bit more, but because it was so different for everybody, it was just like a little, a bit of an anomaly, right? Yeah, a little bit of an anomaly. And I think what will be interesting is as we reintegrate, reintegrating without him is going to be challenging. Like just that, that I noted at that soccer game where it felt very normal, the amount of people that were there and grandparents and it was lively and full of really, really good energy. And I really noticed that absence that day. And so as events come up for kids or, you know, end of season events in terms of sporting events, you know, that I think those will be challenging, but like I said, you just walk with the limp and dance with the limp. And as long as you just, even if it's baby steps, it just forward, yeah. just keep moving forward. Talk to me a little bit about your village. Cause I obviously know, you know, you have a lot of people in your corner who are there to, who's there to support you and the kids. So how has your village showed up for you? What's the things that you know, you're so grateful for. So, so grateful. The village is, is so diverse and vast and big and giving and kind where there's, there's a few people that haven't showed up and it makes it okay. Cause it's so easy to be like, I have so much of it. That is very obvious to me that I don't need maybe the others because that's so much effort. And all of this is effortless. And I think it's, Ali and I have put in a lot of love and goodness in the world and it's coming back to us. And I believe in, in karmic energy. And I believe that he's done a lot of good deeds in his life and he is so well loved. And so whether it's from tactical things like food or taking the kids out to nice gestures like flowers or cards, or, you know, just being there, especially last summer when Ali was fell ill, we needed a lot of support. But yeah, it's family and friends and colleagues and a mashup of so many different people, singular people in different groups, because we just both belong to so many different groups, mm -hmm. and them all stepping up in, in different ways. And so it is something to be enormously grateful for, like, you're supposed to be grateful if you have one or two friends, and I'm like, I have the village, where it can go wrong is sometimes people think, oh, she has everyone, or she has too much. And so I'm going to stick, take a step back. And those are the days maybe that I'm lonely. Like, it's not like every day there's someone that I'm hanging out with. So that's the only thing, but I, I can't be greedy for more because I am, you know, at one point I even said, I feel like I need to donate it to, to other women or someone that's going through a similar situation that doesn't have that support system in place. But yeah, I just, you know, thank you, thank you, thank you 
if you're listening, if you're one of those people in my village and I got you, I got you back. Cause like, you know, you learn a lot and the way that people show up and the, the things that they do automatically now there is an impulse with me to know what to, what's the right thing to do, whether it's send flowers or do something. I also made it clear to a lot of people that in the beginning I was okay, but I said, hit me up in a few months, hit me up in six months, bring me the meal then. Don't bring it on the same week where things are going to go yeah. bad because there's a surplus of food and I hate wasting. And people did that. We had someone in the neighborhood brought me food six months later, didn't talk to her for six months. And it was in the back of her mind that I owe you, you actually told me, I don't want the food, but in order to make her feel better and allow, I think it's allowing people to do those things because often you feel bad. You don't want to put people out of their way or come across as needy. Yeah. Yeah. Come across as needy. And so often people just shut it down where I was like, rain check and real rain check. Mm -hmm. Uh, I will need you in a few months. I just, it was overwhelming to have it all concentrated in a short period of time. And that neighbor friend, yeah, came through unexpectedly one day and said, I'm sending you food. I was like, okay, dinner's done. And it was just so appreciated. And so I think learning to do that for others is something that I'm learning more to do. And that I would take a page out of that woman's book and say, in the beginning, everyone's there for you right? And overly concerned. But in six months, you know, put a note into maybe my calendar to be like checking on this person with a practical thing that I can also provide to that person or a grocery card or a Tim Hortons or something that they don't have to think of. You know, a lot of people will say, well, what can I do? Or let me know if there's anything you can, you know, they can do for me. And I hate that because it's like, why is the onus on me to come up with the, now, now, now you're giving me more work? That's mental work for me to think of what I actually need. But if you just for yourself, you'll be able to figure out, right? There's groceries, there's- What would I appreciate in this moment? Yeah, just put yourself in that person's shoes because as much as people say they can't imagine, people can imagine. I think we can imagine. I've imagined my parents, I've imagined grandparents, I've imagined, we daydream and dream. How can you not imagine? You may not understand the extent of it, but you can definitely imagine. So I also, when people say they can't imagine, I'm like, really? You've never imagined it? Because it's like we watch scary movies or sad movies, like things come up all the time. And we replace ourselves with the protagonist often in a story and a book. So, but yeah, that one always gets me going to the one that's like, let me know what I can do. And it's like, oh, I don't know what you can do. You can do what you can do. Do what you can do. You do what you can do. Yeah. Yeah, And I'll be grateful for whatever it is you can do. And open arms, open arms, you know, and if it's steep to one steep tea, love it. Thank you. You know, but do what you are capable of doing and what your heart is telling you to do. That shouldn't be on the person that's experiencing the challenge or the loss. Yeah, no, that's some great advice and really good for anyone else who's going through the overwhelming feeling of grief of how to, how to manage a, the influx and then like feast and famine, right? It's like so many people at the beginning and then it was, you know, dead quiet. So how to, how to kind of manage all that? That's really great advice. So you mentioned at the beginning of call, you know, taking a couple things off the shelf in terms of projects that you and he had started or, or wanted to do. Are you open in sharing any of those with us? So some things that you're going to maybe take on in, in his honor right now? Yeah. Well, one I'm absolutely going to promote the hell out of 
And that is my new kids book, which was actually written. I mean, Ali had a little bit of input, but it was actually my friend Anne that we would come up with different rhymes for because the book is in rhyming prose. And ultimately, the title is Sushi and Samosas. And it's a story about two reluctant eaters, young reluctant eaters who are just obsessed with chicken nuggets and fries. That's all they want. And the parents are determined to expose their kids to different cuisine. And through that, they feel like you'll appreciate the world, you'll learn about that country. And it's a, it's a really safe way to get to know each other. But they're skeptical. And so they embark on this journey, one of learning and one of understanding and tolerance and diversity and all of that. And that was literally hung up on the shelf for like eight years. And Ali and I decided to self-publish last summer. It took a really, really long time, but probably good because I was busy with other things. And, and so it was published a couple of weeks ago and it's still making its way to different distributors, but is available on amazon.ca or amazon.com. And hopefully will be in Indigo and other, other chains as well. And also independent bookstores that I totally want to support. And so again, it's sushi and samosas and check it out. It's a really good book for, it skews young, but as someone pointed out to me last week and they're an adult, they're a chicken nuggets and fries person. So it's good for adults. And it's also good for, I think, educators and teachers and just a lesson in how, how do we get to know each other and maybe music and dance, food, fashion is our safe ways to kind of continue to get to know each other's cultures and just try it, try it and you see what happens. And the, the hard part is trying to, to, to even try it. And if you don't like it, you don't like it, but at least you tried. And so it is mirrored after our life. My kids have been exposed. And, you know, I think, I think the day that they embraced sushi, Ali and I actually cheered up because it was such a milestone. <laughs> we're like, our kids eat sushi. This is fantastic. We're Parenting goal right here, right? Check. Parenting goals. And so one of them isn't crazy about samosas, but the idea was that it was sort of mirrored after our life with, of course, it's, it's fictional and it's, and it's a children's, you know, illustrated book. So that's one that's come to life and, and with it has become, come different opportunities and interviews and chance, you know, opportunities to connect with different leaders and in different spaces. And mm -hmm. so it's been quite interesting, like just the kids publishing world and, and people who review those books and stuff, it's, it's vast. It's a world that I didn't even really fully understand the extent of and international as well. So that's that's going to eat up a, a lot of time. But it's, it, you know, it's it was hanging there for a long time. In many ways, anticlimactic. But on the other ways, it's like, it was done. It just needed to be out there. And now it's finally out there. So I hope the world will embrace it and find it yummy. Yeah, I love it. I'm definitely going to pick up a copy couple copies of that for my nieces and nephews because yeah we love food too and I think food is such a great way to introduce people to other communities and cultures and acceptance and yeah it's great metaphor in that book I'm sure so yay that's fun so yeah it's available on Amazon will probably be available in other like local bookstores so yeah guys everybody go pick up sushis and samosas and support uh, Rishma and her kids in this new world of publication. That's so fantastic. Um, anything else you want to share with the community before we wrap up this wonderful call? You know, there's so much that I think will come with time. So it, you know, 
typical teaser of, of stay tuned, but I think, I think the list will continue to be checked off. And I'm going to start a new volunteering gig with the hospital soon and in September, which I'm really looking forward to. So that's, you know, another personal mission to be able to like give back. And so I'm officially got my, my vest and I'm going to, I'm going to do that. But I think, you know, getting through this first year is, is pivotal. And as we approach the one year mark, it's, I'm anxious about it too. And then I've heard from other people that the second year is even harder. So no pressure in terms of timelines and all of that. Like we have one project that literally took nine years, but it came to fruition. And I think it's like a little bit like Kamala Harris going, you know, these things didn't happen until she was like 50, you know, like getting married, becoming the vice president. And so just trying to be patient with it will happen when it's supposed to happen. Excellent. Well, thank you so much, uh, Rishma, for being our guest today and sharing so openly your heart and, and your story. I know this will definitely help others who are currently going through something similar to you. And uh, will you come back on the show in, in a while and check in and let us know how, how things are going and, and share another story with us? I would be honored to do that. I would be absolutely honored. And I just enjoyed our chat. It was therapeutic for me, hopefully therapeutic for other people that, that were listening. Like even just the release of tears, you know, is, it's just, it feels good. It feels mm-hmm. good. I'm ready for my big glass of water now. And so thank you for being part of my healing journey and, and my journey in, in general. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks everyone. And we will talk to you on the next episode. Thank you so much for listening. I appreciate it more than I can say. Did you love this episode of I Just Blank Now What? If you did, be sure to subscribe on your fave podcast platform. And if you're on Apple Podcasts, please leave a review. I do love reading them. And if you know somebody who's experiencing this story or something similar, please share this episode with them. It just might help them figure out the answers to their own now what questions. Have you recently had a now what moment and aren't sure what to do? Reach out to me at jessicastevens.ca and submit your story and I'll help you figure out what to do, how to move forward and help you answer now what. See you on the next episode.